0: Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning. morning. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians. So, if you didn't get a scripture journal, this is our gift to you. We would love for you to take this to write in it to learn how to read the Bible for yourself. Something we say a lot around here is that man shall not live by sermons alone, uh, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, uh, I say this a lot. A sermon is a cherry on top. You get the ice cream with the Lord by yourself. Okay, so. I want you to learn to love the Bible by yourself and to learn to read it by yourself and to learn to let the Holy Spirit teach you uh, through your time with the Lord. And then hopefully we can bless you on a Sunday or in a lighthouse. Uh, but the Lord wants you to learn. So this is our gift to you. Please use it. If you don't have one right now, you, maybe you came in a different door, raise your hand. We'd be happy to give you one. Uh, so go ahead and raise your hand. We're going to work through that. You're going to have it for the next seven weeks. We're going to be in Philippians for seven weeks. So raise your hand. Keep your hand raised. Uh, and as we do that, before we jump into the Word, uh, we're going to um, pray in just a second. There's a family in our church going through some significant uh, trouble, and so we want to bring that to prayer. Obviously, they have approved of us talking about it, but uh, AJ and Hannah, who are part of our, our church, have been from the beginning. Um, they have a little daughter, Emma. Uh, they just had a boy, Isaiah, on, uh, just a couple days ago, and he uh, came out with some significant uh, problems. Um, some significant breathing issues. So he's been on a ventilator, and um, they're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. So uh, it's really obviously sad, and we're asking the Lord. So AJ and Henna is uh, that's their boy Isaiah. That's AJ and Henna, their little daughter Emma. Uh, so they've been uh, faithful members of this church, and we love them. So we just wanted to bring the church together to pray and to ask the Lord for mercy that he would do something supernatural and bring healing uh, even today. So uh, there's going to be lots of people in this room today, so hopefully lots of prayers. Uh, so we want you to not only pray right now, we're going to pray, uh, but just be thinking of them throughout the day. Uh, pray for AJ and Henna for strength, for comfort, for the Lord, just to sustain them. Man, you parents know it ain't nothing, man. Anything but my kids, you know, anything but my kids. Uh, so we're just going to pray the Lord does a the work there. So let's let's do that and uh, join me as I pray. I hope to make it through this prayer. Obviously this makes uh, any any person emotional. So We're going to ask the Lord for his blessing and his help. Please pray with me. Don't just listen to me pray. I would prefer uh, hundreds of prayers going up as opposed to one. So AJ, Henna are the parents. Emma's the daughter, and Isaiah's the little boy uh, who's struggling right now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just... Thank you for AJ, thank you for Henna. thank you for little Emma, and then this little boy Isaiah. Thank you, Lord, um, just for them, who they are, for their participation in the work here at City Light, and and for their faithfulness to you, and we just love them as a family, God. And so now we just pray. Uh, Lord, first of all, we pray for Isaiah. We pray for mercy. pray for healing of his body, Lord, that you would bring breath to his lungs. Lord, you've told us in the scriptures that you are our healer, our provider. We know that nothing is impossible with you. So, Lord, the doctors may think it looks grim and the situation may not look great right now, Lord, but you are God. So we pray for mercy on his life. And we pray that there would be a demonstration of your power that you would receive the glory and the honor that there would be a testimony to who you are and what you can do, Lord, and that people would come to saving faith in you through this situation in the hospital now. I'll pray for A.J. and Henna. Think of Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. His heart is not afraid of bad news. So we pray that you would strengthen them, that you would provide comfort and sustain them, that they would know your nearness and your presence. You say you are near to the brokenhearted, to the crushed in spirit. And Jesus, you said that my house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching or a house of singing, which are fine, but a house of prayer. So we pray now, Lord. We ask for mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So keep them uh, in your heart, and your mind. Uh, Hopefully we'll have something to celebrate very soon. So, uh, Philippians chapter 1. I've been asking the Lord how I'm going to preach a message after, after that. I'm not quite sure. Uh, they've been heavy on our hearts all weekend, obviously. Um, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. Before we do that, uh, you have your scripture journals. Please mark it up. Use it in your daily devotions, all of that. I have two things I want to introduce to us. Uh, before we get started this morning. As you saw in the video, uh, something that we have been praying about uh, as a church and then uh, really as a staff recently, we were reading a book about a missionary, Hudson Taylor, and He had these big prayers about things he needed God to do and kind of some specific goals and needing a certain amount of missionaries to reach a certain amount of people. And it was all audacious and he would pray and the Lord would go overwhelmingly above and beyond what he asked to advance the mission of God. And so as a staff, we began to ask the question, uh, what is something specific maybe the Lord might put on our hearts to pray for, to shoot at, and to aim for? Obviously, those of you who've been involved in this church know what we're doing, the mission and vision of what we are about. Uh, And we have a lot of things we are working to towards, but we asked the Lord, is there something, is there something we can kind of hold on to to say we want to aim for this? Uh, And as we began to pray and kind of seek the Lord on it, uh, we, we felt led by the Lord that as a church, we want to aim over this next year to see 100 people be baptized. And we really feel like this is from the Lord and something that uh, we want to pursue in honor of Him. This would be audacious. We've been around uh, about a year and a half. And praise God, we've seen about 30, almost 30 people baptized in our time together, uh, which is awesome and something we're celebrating. And we're so grateful for the work of God. Uh, We just celebrated a few more last Easter and to hear their testimonies and stories, the Lord is changing lives. uh, And we're so excited about that. And we just said, Lord, we want more of that. We want more of that. And obviously, what is a baptism? It's somebody that's giving a symbolic expression of their faith in Jesus Christ. So what are we after? We're after people putting faith in Jesus Christ. or after people taking that step towards him. And maybe for some of you, that step is gonna be this morning and Jesus is gonna reveal himself to you. And we would love to walk with you through that. But for those of us in the room who say we know and love Jesus, I want you to consider the people in your life that might need to get baptized because they need to begin a, a relationship with Jesus. And for us to follow through on this and say, Lord, we want to give everything we can to seeing people come to faith in, in Jesus Christ and to seeing people taking the next step to be baptized and to seeing them walk and grow in their relationship to the Lord to go and make disciples. And so the Lord just said, hey, look, we just felt like the Lord was leading us. "Let's, Let's shoot for 100 and let's all get on this together and let's see people come to know Christ. Now, let me tell you, this may sound big as a church, but this is really simple. If all you consider is one person in your life that you know needs to take that step with the Lord to either trust and follow him or to be baptized in obedience to him. If every single person in this room or in this church was involved in one person, just one, Getting baptized this year to take that step with the Lord, then we would be way over 100. And so, for you to consider that person in your life, I want you to heavy focus on that. Who's that one person in your life? And they may, may be in this room right now, maybe today's today. Or who's that one person in your family, or in your friend, or in your working group, whatever it might be, that you would say, "Man, the Lord has placed that person in my life. I need to be more intentional with them to help them spiritually grow, to ask the right questions, and to pursue this together." And if every single one of us is involved in one person getting baptized, in one story of people coming to faith or taking that step with Jesus, we will see Jesus do remarkable things. And so obviously since we started, we started so we could see people trust Jesus, so we could serve our community and bless this place so that people could come to know Jesus Christ. That is what we are always after. Uh, but we felt the Lord leading us to put some sort of goal on it so that we can pursue that together. So who is the one person the Lord's putting on your heart now that over the next eight months, over the next eight months, you want to intentionally pursue and see God do an amazing thing? I want you to consider that. Obviously, people getting saved is God's job, and there's nothing we can ultimately do to make sure that comes to pass. But there is a hundred things we can do, particularly with sharing the gospel and showing the love of Jesus, to be a part of God doing that work in their life. And so as we're going to see today, it's going to help us kind of navigate this, that God is in control, and He's the one who actually does the work, and then we're involved, and we need to participate in the ways that He's told us to participate to bring to pass the work. And so what does it look like for you? Who is it in your life? Uh, we're going to start doing baptisms more regularly here, um, probably almost on at least a monthly basis, maybe even more often than that. And so we would love to see you get participating in that. So if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus and haven't taken that step, please let us know. We would love to help you navigate what does it look like to get baptized. If you're here and today's the day you choose to trust and follow Jesus, we'd love to help you in that next step. And if you know somebody in your life over these next eight months that you can invite to church, that you can share the gospel with yourself, let's see them come to faith in Jesus Christ and get baptized. And as a church let's pursue uh this work together and so we're going to have a, all, all summers planned out we're going do philippians and then in the month of june we're going to answer four of the toughest questions that christians face about the faith to help you navigate that and then in july we're going to start a series in mark and answering the question of who is jesus and what does it look like for us to know him and to follow jesus and so for this whole summer and for the rest of the year we want to do this together Are uh, you guys ready are you bought into that Yes, amen, amen. You want to see people come to faith in Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. All right, amen. Uh, so let's do that together. We're excited to see what the Lord does. So the next thing I want to do before we jump in is just set up the book of Philippians real quick to give you some context. We're going to jump into the passage in just a minute, but today's the first day. So I want to give you an idea of what's going on here and what's happening in the book of Philippians. So number one, it was written by the Apostle Paul who was Saul, he got converted on the Damascus Road, had an encounter with Jesus, he becomes Paul, and is basically the leader of the church planning movement in the New Testament, uh, and he's one of the main apostles for Jesus Christ. Philippi was a city in Macedonia, which means it was ruled by the Roman government at the time. Therefore, it had a very mixed culture. So the Romans allowed pretty much freedom of religion as long as it wasn't anti-Rome. So they didn't care what you did as long as it didn't hurt them. So they weren't trying to force their beliefs on you, but as long as you weren't anti-Rome, they were cool with you. And so that created a mix. Also, Philippi was a prosperous area, a very highly business entrepreneurial place. And so now they had a lot of people coming in, doing business and all of that. So think of a culture where it's very like very mixed, people from all over the place, different ideas, different philosophies, different gods, not not one mono kind of thing. Uh, a very mixed culture. So that's the place that Paul started a church in. That's the place he's writing to now. The story of how the church started in Philippians is recorded in Acts 16. So you need to take some time to go read that. We're not going to walk through that today. Uh, it's recorded in detail in Acts 16. And so if you want to know how did this church get started, go read Acts 16. It's the historical record of what happened and how it got started. The short version of the story is that Paul had actually intended to go plant a the church somewhere else. God sent Paul a vision of a man crying for help from Macedonia. So he reroutes his plans. He goes to this area, and then he begins the work of starting a church he goes as the phrase is down by the river to start a church. A few of you caught that, to start a church. Uh, and uh, and uh, the Lord did an amazing ministry there. Uh, this happened in Paul's second missionary journey. So he had three overall, where he would go to different places, share the gospel, start churches. Then he would go back and through again. So this is on his second missionary journey, around 51 A.D., if you want a time and placement. So the church starts around 51 A.D. Jesus dies around 33 A.D. The church starts at 51 A.D. And then Paul writes the letter around 62 A.D. And so it's about 10, 11 year difference between starting the church and writing the letter. One of my favorite facts about this church, and you'll see this in Acts 16, how did this church start it? Well, first of all, Paul went down by the river, which is funny, but he, your reason why he went down by the river was because there was no synagogue. To have a synagogue, which is a Jewish place of worship, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men present in the city. And so apparently there weren't even 10 Jewish men or God-following, God-seeking people that could be found in this city. So there was a group of people that would gather down by the river to worship and to, and, and to practice their religion. So that's where Paul would go. And so clearly the, the presence and authority of the gospel message and particularly even of the work of God in Yahweh was not there at the time in a, in a big way. The church started, listen to this, here's three different people. The church started with a rich lady, a slave girl who was demon-possessed, and a Roman soldier in his family. That's how the church of Philippi started. A really rich lady, a a demon-possessed slave girl, and a Roman soldier and his family. And that is, if you don't know, quite a mix of people, okay? That is is an interesting group to start a church with. And I love that picture because it shows us exactly what the gospel does. And you bring people together in partnership with Jesus Christ, when they have unity in him, not in their social status or in their preferences or in anything about their life, then God can do an amazing work. And so this church started with a rich lady, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a Roman soldier and his family. And that gives us a great idea of what God is after and the kind of church he is building with the gospel. Paul wrote this letter from imprisonment in Rome. So Paul was uh, his first imprisonment in Rome. He had two. And so he writes a letter from imprisonment in Rome, literally writing from prison. So that gives you a tenor for how it feels to read the book, to know the book. What is Paul feeling and saying when he writes these things? Uh, Writing a letter from prison is different than writing a letter not from prison. Okay, so let's just be clear on that. Uh, That should give you some good weightiness to it. Uh, If you want to think about the motivation of Philippians, it seems like clearly that at the end he expresses his thankfulness in chapter 4. So some people call this a theologically strong thank you note. It's just a thank you note, but it has a ton of theology wrapped up in it. And so Paul's intention in writing Philippians is to say thank you to them for their generosity, both with sharing people to come serve and bless him and sharing financial resources to help him navigate this season of his life. They were the most generous church, even though they were one of the most poor churches. Uh, And so Paul really loved this church. Uh, One commentator wrote about this church that this was the most satisfying and least troublesome church for Paul the most satisfying and least troublesome. Like they were just following the Lord, not a ton of complaints. Obviously they had a little issues like anybody else, uh, but he had less trouble. And if you read the letters Paul writes to other churches, you notice that pretty quickly uh, that he's dealing with a lot of problems. But when he writes to Philippi, the problems seem very minimal. Uh, And so he seems very blessed by that. And when I thought about that, I just had thankfulness for this church. That's how I feel uh, about this church. When I listen to other maybe pastors talk about some of the issues and difficulties that are presented in their churches, I just think, wow, man, I don't, these people are great. I don't know, you know. And maybe you're not telling me how mad you are at me or whatever it is. I'm not sure. But you guys are wonderful, and I just feel like pastoring you is a joy. And I really enjoy that. This is a really healthy church, uh, and so I'm really thankful for that. I felt like I could resonate with Paul when he just thought about the church with generosity and thankfulness. And I thought, man, that's exactly how I think about City Light, and I love you guys, and I'm thankful for the ministry we're doing together here. And so that gives you a good background of what's happening. Now let's read Philippians 1, and uh, let's dive into what Paul is actually saying. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's where we stop stop today, and we'll spend the next seven weeks working our way through the entire book. There's two main things I want us to think through this morning from verse 6 and really verse 9 through 11 uh, for us to consider. is what God does and how we can trust him to do it, and then what God is asking us to do to join in the work that he's already doing. Okay, These are the two things we're going to be considering this morning. So Paul starts the letter. And he starts it with thankfulness, and he starts it with verse 6, an affirmation that God will continue the work that he started, an affirmation that God will do it to help the church find rest and assurance in this simple truth that what God started in you he will bring to pass and complete. And to help them rest and find security in that place that God will finish what he started, that God does nothing halfway. He wanted to root them, in verse 2, in the grace and peace that come from God. So he's after this to say root your life in this before he goes into saying, okay, now I want you to pursue this. And so before Paul says, man, I pray you would become like this, and you need to live a life in accordance with these principles, I want you to rest. And first and foremost, it is not about what you do, but what God has already done and what God is doing, to find your assurance and confidence in that place. And so today, it's on the screen. The title of the message is, You Complete Me. You Complete Me. You Complete Me. Uh, many of you know, probably know the scene from Jerry Maguire or any, anything like that in a movie. This is something we say or feel or think about a lot, this idea that you complete me, that situations or people really or outcomes or things we put our hope in to complete us. That I need to find this right person, my person, or that I need to get this right job or that I need to have this situation work out to be complete in life. And maybe some of you walked in here this morning thinking that very thing, that you don't feel complete, that you feel you are lacking, and that if you just had this person, this job, this situation change, you would be complete. And now you're pursuing that, and it's getting more and more difficult because it's not doing what you want it to do. And I want us to see first and foremost here, what does it mean to be complete? When I say you complete me, we're talking to God. You complete me, and he is the only one who can complete you. And what is it that completes us? You notice it here. It's verse 2. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that makes you a complete person. Not your good works, not your good appearance, not your good record, not that good opportunity, and not that good person. It is the grace of God that completes you. It is the grace of God that makes you whole. It is the grace of God that restores you. It is the grace of God that makes you acceptable to God. It is the grace of God that fulfills the purpose of your life. It is the grace of God that makes you you. Do you hear me? Not another person, not a great job, not an opportunity, not a bank account, nothing. It is the grace of God that makes you a complete person. So if you wanna find your identity and your purpose and who you really are, you will only find it in the grace of God. And God has given us this grace as a gift. This is amazing, think about this. This grace from God, the Bible describes as a gift from God. And so now you have these two options before you, to be complete. You can work really hard to try to prove yourself to somebody and to try to become someone and to try to be complete by getting that thing and being that person or having this person on your side. You can work so hard and never actually find your real self or be complete or whole. On the other side, though, you can simply receive a gift that someone else worked really hard to give you this would be so crazy to say okay i can work really hard and get nothing or i can simply receive something someone else worked really hard to get This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who died on the cross, who lived a perfect life, who rose again from the dead. Jesus is the one who did all the work necessary to make you complete and whole, to restore what is broken inside each one of us because of our sin. Jesus is the one who did all the work. And now he simply says, receive my grace as a gift to you. Stop trying so hard to complete yourself receive, receive, receive. You're running, you're striving. You live in D.C. You're trying to be somebody, to become someone, to be important, to do all of the things that people frantically run around this city trying to do. And it will never happen. The only thing that can complete you is the grace of God. You cannot work for it or earn it. You can only receive it. So receive. This morning, some of you need to receive the grace of God for the very first time. to say, I'm going to believe and trust in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection for my sins. I'm going to stop trying to fix myself or to be someone. And some of you need to live by the very grace that you say you have received. How can you say I have received this grace from God that makes me whole and then walk around every day striving and anxious to become someone? for the right situation to work out, for the right person to love you. It is the grace of God that completes you. It is the grace of God that completes you. Let me tell you something. You want to live by this. I thought about this Wednesday night in the car. I remember very specifically when this statement came to my mind, okay? When people ask me how I prepare sermons, I say, I read the Bible and then I think about it all week, all right? So when I'm in the car, I'm thinking of Philippians 1, you know, and I'm thinking, what is the Lord trying to say? And this sentence came to my mind if it did not create you, it cannot complete you. And as soon as it came, I said, that's a word. I'm gonna preach that. I'm gonna preach that. I've just been on that all week. That's the word. I cannot wait to get to Sunday morning. i want going to tell you this sentence. If it did not create you, it cannot complete you. If it did not create you, it cannot complete you. Why? Look at verse 6. He who started the work will finish it. So if they didn't start it, they can't finish it. If they didn't bring you here, they can't take you there. If it didn't create you, it cannot complete you. So now you just need to start identifying, to look at it and say, well, you didn't create me, and you didn't create me, and you didn't create me, and that job didn't create me, and that person didn't create me. If it did not create me, it cannot complete me. Only God. What he started, he will finish. If it did not create you, it cannot complete you. What are you thinking about right now? What is is the Lord identifying and bringing up in your heart right now? You're looking to something that did not have the power to create you, and you're asking it for the power to complete you. It didn't have the power to make you, and now you're asking it to take you somewhere special, to be someone. If it didn't create you, it cannot complete you. Only the Lord who started it can finish it. Think that through. Ask the Lord, what is he saying through that? What are you looking to, to complete you other than God? Because you are only complete and whole. You only find your real full self as the world wants to help you find from the grace of God. If it didn't create you, it cannot complete you. Some of you also need to be encouraged by verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ. Listen to me, you Christian, you believer who's really struggling right now to wonder what God is doing. God never hits the pause button on your life. Never. God never hits the pause button and say, I'll come back to this later. No, 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 no. Believe me. What does Paul say? I am sure of this, that if he started something in you, he will finish it. That if God saved you, he will complete you. That if God loved you to die on the cross for you and to reveal himself to you, that his love would be enough to take you where you need to go now. God does not hit the pause button on your life. He does not hit the pause button on your development. He does not hit the pause button on your satisfaction and your restoration and your wholeness. God never hits the pause button in your life, not once, not for one second. God is always working to finish what he started. And even if you are messing up, and even if you are attempting to hit the pause button on your life, you did not start the work of God in you. You didn't start it. God did. So it's not up to you to finish it. God does it. And so now you simply receive. And if you feel like you've been completely messing up and trying to hit the pause button on what God wants to do in your life or going the other way, you simply say, yes, Lord, I once again receive the grace of God that makes me whole. And as we're going to see in a minute, now I pursue the life you're calling me to live. But you must remember and be encouraged this morning. Those of you who know and trust Jesus and are struggling to understand what's happening and how your life is working out, that God, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started something in you will finish it. So be encouraged today. God has not hit the pause button on your life. God is working, and God is working to make you complete and whole, and he is writing the story for your life that best fits your life. Be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged. God is working. He is finishing what he started in you. So that's the first thing. It's God who does it. It's God who does it. Now, this is what Paul says. God does it, now go and do it. God does it, now go and do it. So we're going to walk through verses 9 through 11 piece by piece. So the first thing Paul says is his primary prayer. What, why, what, is he, what is he praying for the Philippians? When Paul thinks about the Philippians, what is he praying? This, that your love may abound more and more. So the first prayer, to join God in what he's doing already, is to grow now in love that it would abound more and more. Now, the love we find here gets clarified in verses 5 and 7 by the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. I'm thankful for you because of your partnership in the gospel. Verse 7, I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of grace. So the unity and the binding force, the real love, is a love that comes from God and within the gospel of God. And so when I, find my un- when I find my love in the gospel of God, now I can be unified to grow in love with those around me who have different preferences, different culture backgrounds, different politics, different beliefs. Because what unites me and helps me love is not my preferences or my feelings. It's that you are a partaker of grace with me. Right? We've received the same grace. That's why the Lord's table, that's why we, so to speak, eat at the same table. Like we're together doing this together. Say, oh, you identify with Jesus, so do I. And now we are one. We are together. We're partakers with grace. So it's a love that's rooted first and foremost in God's love. Listen to me, write this down. Growing in love requires growing by love. Okay, if you want to grow in love, if you want your love to abound more and more, growing in love requires growing by love. It requires growing by the love of Jesus for you because you cannot give the love to someone else that you have not received first. You cannot give what you have not received. You cannot give what you have not received. You say, I want to grow in love, then you ought to focus on growing by love. You're trying to will and to force and to determine a feeling of love for someone else when that's not what God is asking you to do. If you want to grow in love, you must grow by love. You cannot give what you have not received. And so for us to grow in love, for our love to abound more and more, we must focus on the love Jesus has for us and the love we feel towards one another that's primarily uh, focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a partaker with me of grace. I have been given grace from God. And so the love I have comes from him. So the love I give you comes from him. Growing in love requires growing by love. And I think many of us get frustrated because we try to grow in love without growing by love. You're trying to change the way you feel about someone or the things you do. You're trying to grow in love, but you're not growing by love. And if you don't let the Lord work and speak and love you experientially, if you don't grow in that love, then you're going to have a difficult time growing in love for others. You cannot give what you have not received. And so he wants them to grow in love. And so now the rest of that paragraph is like a qualifications of this, okay? It's like you delineate, all right? This is the main point, and then it's sub-point, sub sub-point, sub-point. So growing in love is the main thing. This love, as you see in verse 9, has two characteristics— knowledge and discernment knowledge and discernment so the question now is what kind of love do you want me to grow in which is super needed and helpful because you see signs right say love is love what does that mean it doesn't mean anything that's exactly what it means nothing and I want our love to mean something okay love must have knowledge and discernment knowledge and discernment and if it doesn't have knowledge or discernment it is not love You hear what I'm saying? Because it has happy feelings and gives you goosebumps and allows you to approve of someone else without any actual discernment. That's not love. Love requires knowledge and discernment. And boy, do we need that today. Man, if we ever needed a definition of love, it's now. What in the world does it mean to love someone? What is love? What does it mean? Well, Paul teaches us here. Love must have knowledge and discernment. Knowledge... There's two words for knowledge in the Greek. One is oidos, the other is gnosis, and this one's the gnosis, which is like experiential, okay? So you don't really need that Greek lesson. All I'm trying to say to you is this is the kind of knowledge you get by experience. So it's relational, right? So I know facts about my wife, but I know her experientially. That's different. So you can know facts about my wife, but you never know her like I do because of the experience. And so it is with God. He's saying, I want you to grow not only in your informational accuracy about God, but your experience with him. So where do I, how do I grow in knowledge? I grow by fostering an experience with God, by growing a relationship with God, by spending time with God. My love must grow in God. This is important for us. Okay, let me do it real quick. Then discernment. So the second thing, discernment. Discernment is how and when to apply this knowledge in daily life. So love must have knowledge. Knowledge is primarily, not only, but primarily an experiential relationship with God that you grow in that has informational accuracy actually attached to it. You can't experience something rightly if it's not true. And so you got to experience the right, the true God. But your, your, your love grows in knowledge of him. So if you want your love to grow, your knowledge of God must grow. And the knowledge of God must be experiential, not just informational. So it can be transformational. If your knowledge is simply informational, it won't be transformational. Do you understand me? This is why sometimes people just come to church, man shall not live by sermons alone. Why? Because if your knowledge is informational, it won't be transformational. You need an experience with God. Only God can change your life. I can't do that. Your friend can't do that. Nobody can do that. Only God can do that. So you need the Lord. So knowledge and then discernment. How do I apply this in my daily life? So here's the knowledge of of God and the knowledge of love. And then discernment is how does this work out? How do I apply it? When? How? What circumstances is this appropriate? What does love look like now? What does love look like now? What does love look like now? This is our life to say, okay, how do I do this? How do I do this? So here's something for you to understand. It's sort of like the first thing we just said. Love must come from God before it can rightly be given to others. See what I'm saying? Love must come from God, a knowledge, an experience of him, before it can rightly be given to others in discernment. So the question now is, how do I love you right now? Do you need a rebuke? Do you need an encouragement? Is what you're feeling true? Do I need to affirm what you're feeling or do I need to say that's not true? How do I navigate this situation? Uh, What does forgiveness require? I know it requires me to forgive, but then how do I navigate the relationship in a way that honors the Lord? All of these things that we all have questions about that are really difficult to navigate each situation I cannot love others rightly until I have received the love from God first, okay? I cannot. I cannot discern what is loving towards the world if I have not experienced the love of God. Because now, if I haven't experienced the love that comes from God, the way I love the world will not be discerning, it will be distorted, Do you understand? This is so important for you navigating the culture we live in. If I do not receive the love that comes from God and the knowledge and experience of Him, so I get my information right, but I also have the transformational experience of His presence. I have a relationship with Him, and in my relationship with Him, I grow to understand what does love look like. Because you know who made love? God did. So if God made it, then He defines it. So now I have love from God. Once I have love from God and a consistent relationship with him, then I can bring it over here in discernment, and I can ply, apply the love of God to the situations of my life. And I can help someone else understand what is the loving thing right now? What is the loving thing for you to believe? What is the loving thing for you to do? But so many of us are trying to show love, but it's, instead of it having discernment, it's distorted. And in an effort to show love, we end up distorting the truth because we don't have this relationship with God that's clear or strong enough to give me a good definition. This is so important because we are not going to be able to navigate the culture we live in and you are not going to be able to handle the circumstances that will come your way if you don't first and foremost have a real relationship with God so that you can have a proper definition of love and a relationship with God that's experiential, not just transactional, not just informational. So that's how love works. It has knowledge and discernment. And the Lord helps us to navigate our life with these two things. So love has knowledge and discernment. Okay, so once I do this, and that's just a side note here, then the love is never, at least in the Bible especially, primarily described as a feeling. It certainly has feelings. Somebody tells me they love God and never have any emotions toward him, I'm like, something's wrong, you know. People you like, I was like, I love my wife, but I don't like spending time with her. You'd be like, that's strange. That's strange. <laughs> I do love spending time with my wife. Because I love her. It's, it's not about, it, has, it includes feelings, but it's not primarily based on feelings. And the culture you and I live in, feelings is the primary form of love. My feelings should be affirmed. Your feelings should be affirmed. I need to feel love to you, and I need to affirm your feelings about yourself. And that means love. Let me just tell you, please, please hear me, that is a bad definition of love, and that kind of love sends people straight to hell. Do you understand me? That's not love. That's not love. Hear me. That's not love. That's not love. That's not love. Come on. We need to be salt and light. We need to have a love that is knowledgeable and discerning. Okay? That's what we need to have. Okay, so now, if I have love that is knowledgeable and discerning, what will happen, verse 10, I will approve what is excellent, and I will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I will both approve of what is excellent, what is right, what is good, and I will act in a way that's pure and blameless. So now that I have a good definition of love— I have the knowledge from God and the discerning to how to apply that in real life. Now, when I live in my life, I will approve what is excellent, and I will say that is in accordance with the love of God that is excellent, and then I will approve what is not excellent, and then I will act in a way that allows me to be pure and blameless because I have the right approval. I have the right approval, so therefore, I can do the right application, but some of us have a bad application because we never understood the right approval. So we're trying to apply love, just like we said, and instead of doing it with discernment, we do it in a distorted way, because we can't apply that which we haven't acquired. And so love comes from God. We must be able to approve that which is excellent. So if 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 I pursue love, I grow in love by growing by love. The kind of love God defines has both knowledge and discernment knowledge of God and experience with him and a discernment as to how to apply that in my daily life if I have that kind of love then I will live my life approving what is excellent and if I approve what is excellent I will avoid what is not and therefore I will be pure and blameless now why would I want to be pure and blameless to be ready here for the day of Christ so listen please listen to me the culture around you cannot help you approve what is excellent It cannot. It will, matter of fact, do the opposite, and it will lead you to approve what is not excellent. It will lead you to approve what is unholy. It will lead you to approve of what is untrue. That will both destroy yourself and those around you. Only God and the love of God and the way of God can help you approve what is excellent. Now, why do I need to approve what is excellent, and why do I need to be pure and blameless? Some of you might have that question. You say, I don't care how I live. My friend doesn't care how they live. What does it really matter? Why do I need to be pure and blameless? So what? I might as well live my life. Well, this is why. This is, these three words are so important. For the day, it's five words, of Christ. (laughs) I'm too excited to count. For the day of Christ. Why why do I need to be, I I need to be pure and blameless? Why? To get ready for him. Listen, I thought about this. All you military people in the room, because we have a ton because of where we live, you guys understand this, right? Because when you know you're getting an inspection about uh, either when you were in boot camp, about your, your room or your bed or now in your job or whatever, about the way you're doing things, when you know you're getting an inspection, you know exactly what the standard is for that inspection, and then you prepare in accordance with the standard of the military. You do not prepare your inspection in accordance with your preference You do not prepare for the inspection in accordance with how you like to do things. You do not prepare the inspection in accordance with how you were raised. No. What do you do? You prepare for the inspection by the standard of the military. Because on that day, you will be judged according to the standard of the military. Not according to your preference or according to how you were raised or even according to what the world approves of. So therefore, you prepare and you get ready for that day. Now listen to me, so it is with Jesus, that one day we will all stand before him, and he will give the inspection. And to be prepared for that day requires living according to the standard of his way. Do You understand me? So if I think the military is giving me an inspection, I prepare according to the standard of the military. If I think Jesus is going to give me an inspection, I would prepare according to the standard of Jesus so what does it mean to be pure and blameless? Well, ask Jesus. What does it mean to be acceptable before God? Ask Jesus. Go to the Word of God. Find it. So listen to me. What are you you preparing for? Ask yourself, what standards are you living by? Who will do the inspection of your life? Are you ready for that day? Because you are working so hard to be approved by your friends, so hard to be approved by your boss, so hard to be approved by your family, so hard to be approved by culture, so hard to be approved by everyone else except the one person who will do the inspection of your life. You will not stand before culture, you will not stand before your boss, you will not stand before a spouse, you will not stand before a group of friends, you will not stand before a council or a city or whatever. You'll stand before Jesus Christ, and the inspection will be done by Jesus, and what is pure and blameless will be determined by Jesus. So the question is, is your love leading into the kind of life that prepares you to be ready for that day, the day of your inspection? Now listen to me, we need to live a life in accordance with the standard of God, but to be ready for that day and to truly be pure and blameless is not by living better or doing better, but by receiving the only pure and blameless life there ever was, Jesus Christ. You cannot stand on your own on that day, no matter how hard you try to go do everything I just said now. The only way you can be pure and blameless ultimately is to receive a pure and blameless gift. That's why Jesus lived a perfect life for you so that when he died, he would pay for all your sins, and then he would offer you his life. So now in Jesus, you are seen as pure and blameless. So when you stand before God, according to his standard of holiness, you did not meet the mark but jesus did and now you put your faith in jesus and you receive as a gift his perfect life so that on the day of your inspection jesus god inspects the life of jesus not yours and he'll find it pure and blameless this is a gift and it's called salvation and jesus wants some of you in the room to receive it today you can be ready for your inspection by receiving a gift And what does he call us to now? When we receive that gift, what do we do? We live a life in accordance with that. What does he call it here? Verse 11, the fruit of righteousness coming through Jesus to the glory of God. It's fruit. So what is my obedience and holiness and moral living? It's the fruit of righteousness coming from a connection with Jesus that he's bringing to pass. As I join him, both in my mistakes and in my efforts to do what he's asked me to do, the fruit of my life is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that comes from him. And when the righteousness comes from Jesus, the life then gives glory to God. That's the end here now, to the glory and praise of God. And so as we even said last week, the end game and the end goal of your life, you were made and created for the glory and praise of God. That's it. That is the purpose of your existence, made by God and for God. And so now when you align your life with his glory and the praise of God and the standard of Jesus Christ, you're going to live a life that is acceptable to him. An acceptable life that allows you to be pure and blameless. So, as we close, consider the question who and what are you looking for to complete you? Because if it did not create you, it cannot complete you. And you can only be complete by the grace of God. God will do it, He will finish the work He started. So therefore, City Light Church, go and do it. Abound in love with knowledge and discernment. Approve what is excellent. Be pure and blameless and ready for the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we pray once again for A.J., Hannah, little Isaiah, for mercy, for healing, for deliverance. And we ask now, Lord, that you would help us to grow in love with knowledge and discernment. And that each person, Lord, in this room would be ready for the inspection of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that's not ready, Lord, that they would repent, trust, believe in you today. And that all of us would align our lives to live according to what you approve of, what is excellent. Help our definition of love to be accurate, true, faithful. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are, and ultimately that you lived a pure and blameless life on our behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand and respond to the Lord with us?